two readings. Uh, if you want to follow, we're starting in John chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 6 and 8 and then jump to verses 19 to 28. And then the second reading will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 to 24. So starting with John 1, verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question, sent. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, "Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?" "I baptize with water," John replied, "but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie." This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Then jumping to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject evil. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's a joy to be here. I'm just going to move this microphone out of the way. We'll put that back if anyone needs it later. So it's the third Sunday of Advent, and um, that means we've lit uh, the, three, the third of our Advent candles. Um, and um, the Advent candles are said to represent different things. There's two kind of patterns to that. One is joy, hope, and love, and peace, or something like that. But one is... Um, the, the story of the Bible. So the first Advent candle is often said to represent the patriarchs, um, which is a posh name for the people who God called to be different in order that they would point the world to God and show the world what God looks like. Their faith was meant to point the world um, to God. The first and the main patriarch was a gentleman called Abraham. Abraham had many sons and daughters. I am one of them, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, as the song says. Um, so that, that was probably the first um, Sunday of Advent. The second um, Sunday of Advent is said to represent the prophets 
you can read about the prophets uh, pretty much bang in the middle of your Bibles. If you open your Bible in the middle, you'll come across the prophets. They were people with some weird and wonderful names. So the prophets included um, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Nehemiah. There were even some people who were prophets whose names didn't end in Ayah, which is good. Like Habakkuk. You don't encounter many Habakkuks nowadays, do you? Which I think is a, a great shame. Um, I'm petitioning for more um, babies who are, uh, uh, who are boys to be called Habakkuk. Um, and the, the prophets were the people whose message was to the people of God. So the patriarchs were the people of God. Their faith was supposed to, they were supposed to live their life in such a way that they said, hey world, we believe in God, and through our faith and our actions, this is our relationship with God. Isn't God good? You can know God too. But the people were failing, and so the prophets came along to point um, the people whose faith was not really doing what it ought to do back toward God and to say to them, you should live a life of faith. And the prophets said that God would do something new, something that would give the people new faith, that God um, was doing a new thing. And the prophets pointed the people of God to the Messiah. Now, I don't think the prophets themselves who made these prophecies and spoke of the Messiah could have for one second conceived that when they prophesied of the Messiah, they could conceive that what that actually meant was a baby being born to a peasant girl who was probably just 15 or 16 years old and being laid in an animal's feeding trough in a tiny little village in Bethlehem. Although they were speaking of the Messiah, the one who would come the new work of God that would help people to live the right way. And there were many prophecies of the Messiah. I don't think if you sat Isaiah down and said, all right, Isaiah, I get that you're prophesying about the Messiah, but just take a stab at it for me. What do you think that's actually going to look like? I don't think Isaiah would have said it's going to be a baby in an animal's feeding trough. But that, of course, turns out is exactly what it was. And the third Sunday of Advent... Um, is exciting um, for a couple of reasons. The first is, when I talked earlier in that interview about Anglo-Catholic churches and slightly higher churches, well, friends, you, you're not, you say, we're not that Anglican, really. Well, let me tell you, in some ways, you're missing out because if you are a bit more Anglican, then your third candle can be pink. <laughs> you are missing out on a pink candle. And I'm going to tell you later on in this sermon why the candle is pink and why that's exciting. But the third Sunday of Advent is, so the first Sunday is all about the patriarchs. The second Sunday of Advent is all about the prophets. And the third Sunday of Advent is all about this guy we encountered in our reading today, a guy called John the Baptist. And although we read about John the Baptist in what we call the New Testament, the second half of our Holy Scriptures, um, he was really the last of the Old Testament prophets. Um, we can say that uh, he was an Old Testament prophet because when John the Baptist first told people about the good news of this new thing that God was doing, Jesus had been born, but he hadn't yet begun his active ministry. So John the Baptist is really the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he's in the New Testament. So, um, the third Sunday of Advent is all about John the Baptist. So what do we know about John the Baptist? Well, we could join 
with the priests and the Levites in our reading um, this morning who were sent by the Jews in verse 19 um, and to go to John the Baptist and ask the question, who are you? Who are you? Um, And we can ask John the Baptist this morning, who are you? There are some things we know about John the Baptist, particularly if you went to Sunday school or children's church or whatever. Um, And um, John wore clothes made out of camel hair, the Bible told us. Um, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, which I think might be related to the fact that he wore clothes made out of camel hair, because I suspect those clothes don't smell very nice. Um, He also ate locust and honey. That was his main diet. Again, another reason to live out in the wilderness. Um, And these facts seem strange to us. Why does the Bible tell us how John dressed and all about his dietary requirements? The Bible tells us that because those camel hair... um, Uh, locust and honey, living in the wilderness. Folks, that's the uniform of a prophet. So when the Bible tells us that, the Bible wants us to understand that John the Baptist is a prophet. And as I've said already, he's probably, or he is, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And John came to the people with a message, like all the prophets, and the message was to repent. He said to the people, you need to repent. We've just done a confession, um, and repent is a bit of a, Christian churchy word, even feels sometimes a little bit like it's slightly scary. You must repent. Repent means to change your mind, but not like, oh, should I wear this jacket this morning or this jacket? Not that kind of change of mind, but to actually live life in a completely different way. To say, previously, I have been aligned to this world system, and now I'm going to be aligned to this world system. And John the Baptist was saying to the people, you need to turn around and accept that what you are living for is not going to bring meaning and purpose to your life. And you need to find new meaning and purpose in God. So John um, told the people to repent. And the reason John was doing that is because he was preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Um, John was the person who announced Jesus' ministry. Um, There are two things I really want to say about John the Baptist this morning. The first is this, John knew who he was. John knew who he was. In fact, in the reading this morning, uh, the first reading that we had, um, in verse 20, John says this, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I can't read that without leaping in my mind to Monty Python. Um, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. That's not what John the Baptist was saying. He was saying, I'm not the Messiah. The Messiah is still to come. And John is certain about that. John the Baptist knows who he is and he knows who he's not. John knows what God has called him to do. And it seems that John has been asked to do a lot. Hands up if you know what God has called you to do. There's a few of you put your hands up. Good. It's not always easy, is it? It isn't always easy. I'd say, generally speaking, I've got a, a, you know, God's calling me to do something in this ballpark area, but I don't always know exactly what God wants me to do. John the Baptist was more certain. He knew exactly what God was calling him to do. So much so that um, as the Levites and the priests, those people go to John and they question him, John quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, I'm the one who's been sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that leads me to the second thing I'd like to say about John the Baptist this morning. Um, And um, that is that 
Um, so John knew who he was and who he wasn't. But the second thing about John is not all of his hopes were realized. Not all of John the Baptist's hopes were realized. Hands up if you've got some hopes and dreams that are not yet realized. Well, more of you know that. You might not know what you're called to do, but you know that that thing you hope to happen in your life has not yet happened. You're in good company, folks, because John the Baptist's hopes weren't realized either. It says in our reading in verse 7, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. Let me read that again a bit more slowly. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify to the light, that's Jesus Christ, so that through him all might believe. It's not a very easy verse of the Bible to understand because it's not all that clear. Does it mean that all might believe because of the light? Or does it mean that all might believe because of John's testimony to the light? If John hoped that all might believe because of his testimony, then he was very much like one of the Old Testament prophets. The people in the Old Testament, the prophets, second Sunday of Advent, went around telling the people, you need to be better at justice, you need to be better at worshipping God, you need to be better at living for God, because then the world will know and understand who God is. And in saying that message, they hoped that all would come to believe through their message. And not all did come to believe because of their message. And John the Baptist, his testimony about Jesus Christ, when he said, you need to repent, don't live for this, live for this. And John might have hoped that all would believe. And many, many did. But friends, not all did believe. Not all did believe. And furthermore, if John actually meant in that verse, if what's really meant is that all might believe, not because of John's testimony to the light, but because of the light itself, all might believe because of the light. And if Jesus Christ is the light, then John's hope that all might believe because of the light, Jesus Christ, that hasn't been realized either. The simple way to say all that is not everyone believed John and not everyone believes Jesus. And isn't that a strange and frustrating conundrum? I believe that life with Jesus is much better than life without Jesus. But I can't make others believe that. And so many people who I know don't believe that. And I suspect that it's because if Jesus is real, and if life with Jesus is better, then many things in life have to change. They would have to stop living for this and to start living for this. And it's quite hard to make decisions like that. It can be quite costly. It's sometimes easier to ignore the possibility that Jesus is real and that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus and to just carry on regardless. But if Jesus is real, then why can't Jesus make people believe? If Jesus is the Son of God, born to the Virgin Mary, laid in the manger, grew up, died, uh, for our sins, rose again, ascended into heaven, yada, yada, yada. If that is real, then why can't Jesus make people believe? The simple answer to that and the short answer is that Jesus is love and love never uses power or force. And because of that, I sometimes find it hard 
to believe all that I hope in. That's the kind of thing vicars aren't supposed to say out loud in church, but it's true. I tell people about Jesus, and just like when you tell people about Jesus, some of them say, I don't want to know, Harry, I'm not interested. Please, will you leave me alone? Some of them believe, and their lives are changed. Most of them, the majority, say something like this, oh, that's really nice, Harry. I certainly believe in something You keep going for it, mate. Say one for me next time you're in church. And then they carry on their life just the way they were. In fact, there's even a remarkably large group of people who do believe in Jesus, who do believe that he died and rose again, and yet they don't really let that faith impact how they live their daily lives. They've fallen out the hobbit, the hobbit? They've fallen out the habit of going to church on a Sunday morning. and um, they've lost the routine of prayer, and um, they gradually let the practice of their faith slip away. And thus far, no one has died, so they carry on. Um, they carry on like a golfer who's not a member of a golf club, or a pianist who's not got a piano anymore. They carry on like a child of God, made in the image of God, who believes Jesus is God revealed to us and came to save us, but they don't have any actions that speak of that faith. And so... Um, I say to people, um, I don't, by the way, say this to strangers. We were, uh, I was in London just yesterday, and there was a guy on Oxford Street with a microphone and that shouting at people about um, Jesus. And I don't think it was very effective. I mean, you know, perhaps it was. Perhaps one or two people were convicted by that. Most people were just annoyed by that, I'll be honest. Um, I don't need to do that because I know plenty of people personally who don't know Jesus. And until I've exhausted that possibility, I feel disinclined to stand on street corners. But those people who I do know, I say to them, you know, who are you? Tell me a bit about yourselves because people love talking about themselves. And then I say to them, where are you with God? Have you ever said a prayer? Have you ever, you know, when your nan died or something, did you ever say, God, if you're there, would you? And depending on how they respond, I say, well, why don't you? Why don't you come to our carol service this afternoon? Why don't you come to church on Christmas Day? Why don't you come along to the Alpha course that our church is running? And if people don't want to know, I just go on loving them anyway because Jesus said to us to love our neighbor. And it's important that we go on loving people. And so that could be the sermon for today. John knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. And not all of John's hopes were realized. They didn't all come true. And we could just leave it there. But I know what you're thinking. Well, that's a nice short sermon, Harry. We can start our Sunday lunch earlier today. Woohoo! However, there's a second part to this sermon. I'm really sorry. I just want to look a little bit um, and ask the question of so what? What does knowing all that about John the Baptist, how does that affect my life today? And have a quick look at our second um, reading from one of Paul's letter, um, letters, the first letter he wrote to a church 2,000 years ago in a city called Thessalonica that challenges us about the so what's. So what's. If John knew who he was and what he was called to do, and um, John found out that not all that he hoped in was going to happen in his lifetime, and if that's true for me and might be true for you as well, then perhaps we should do well to follow the advice of Paul this Advent. Um, And Paul said in his letter to the um, Thessalonians, and um, our reading was from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Paul said, rejoice always. Um, And that sounds so simple, but it's so difficult. 
remember this morning, folks, Christ is born, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And therefore, we are called to rejoice always, to not get stressed over the Christmas presents you have to buy. Don't feel sad because you wish your family was larger than it is and you have someone to spend Christmas with. Don't worry about health and wealth and such things like that. Don't even fret um, that much about who believes and who doesn't believe in the true message of Christmas and life and faith. Let God worry about all that kind of stuff um, and then trust the Holy Spirit. But know this, Christ died for you, he rose for you, and he will come for you. So rejoice always. Amen? And that would be um, why um, if you're a slightly higher church, you're allowed a pink candle. Because, friends, the word for rejoice in Latin is gaudete. And way back way, uh, when, um, Advent used to be a bit more like Lent. And in the church's calendar, Advent wasn't just a, we're waiting for Christmas. It was like, let's prepare our hearts for Christmas by making it slightly difficult and really saying we really want Jesus to be born again in our hearts. And so for Advent, I'm going to give up this and I'm going to commit to doing that. Like we do in Lent, I'm going to give up chocolate and I'm going to try and pray every day. But the third Sunday, when we have this reading, that the first word is rejoice. Then the third Sunday, with the pink candle, you were allowed to rejoice and it was a break in the fasting. It's Gaudete Sunday. It's a bit highbrow this, isn't it? I'm quoting Latin to you. Basically, what I'm saying, folks, is I am giving you permission to go home after communion and to have chocolate for Sunday lunch, all right? <laughs> Rejoice always. Rejoice always. The second thing that Paul says in his letters to the Thessalonians is pray without ceasing. Paul has started off telling us something simple that's really, really hard to do. Now he changes gear and makes it even harder. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Thank you, Paul. Great, dead easy that. We're a little too busy to pray without ceasing. Praying for 10 minutes a day might be a challenge enough, even if it's slightly more realistic. When Paul asks us to pray without ceasing, he invites us to consider what is prayer. And as well as this, Paul anticipates the life of heaven, conversation with God, seeing things from God's perspective, living a life of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Thirdly, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. He's on a roll, Paul, unperturbed by how these things are very, very simple but so hard to do. Um, and it's worth recalling that Paul, more than anyone, knew how hard it was to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, in his lifetime, was beaten a number of times as an act of punishment to within an inch of his life. But he never um, backed off or gave up. He was shipwrecked, he was ridiculed, he was imprisoned. He once fled in fear of his life. Paul lived in light of the future hope that Christ would come again. And so he could give thanks in all circumstances. What's the worst that can happen? Someone could kill you. But if you don't fear death, then what's the worst that could happen? There's always hope. In the midst of your darkest prison, picture it now, the thing that you most struggle with, the thing that has you locked up and you think there's no escape, this is making me so miserable. Paul says, give thanks in that circumstance. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Paul says, rejoice always. 
Paul goes on to say, do not quench the work of the Spirit, do not despise prophecy. God is always doing new things. And these new things are sometimes seem scary or bizarre, but growing things experience new life, and these growing things are changing things. Um, and Paul wants us to not quench whatever the Spirit is doing in our hearts. We should desire the Holy Spirit, God, to be at work in our lives and in our churches and in our families. And then finally, um, just to say very quickly, Paul says, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Sometimes good things slip through our fingers, but we should seek to hold fast to them. We should say, I don't want to live for this anymore. I want to live for this. And it, it, that means backing off from evil. It sounds simple enough, but it's quite tricky to do. And that means that we should nurture spiritual disciplines. And that's perhaps what Advent is all about. Paul is writing to a church, very different from your church, um, in a very different circumstances. Um, but Paul believes that the people he's writing to can do that. And I think Paul believes that you can do that as well. So I challenge you to give it a go. To pray, uh, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, to not quench the work of the Spirit in your life and in the life of this church, to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every form of evil. May God give us peace as we try and with the help of the spirits through whom our weaknesses become God's opportunities. May we all live as children of God, for that is what we are. Amen.